we go, something's being built up, and so as we continue our series on Rebuild Nehemiah. Well, this past Thursday evening and this weekend, the NFL draft was Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. And of course, this is the event where professional football teams then select the best players available from the college ranks, and uh, they then select them. And so those players who are the best in college, who've been dominating and, and doing well and against their opposition, they then go to a team that's maybe not as good, especially the first few picks, the first few teams. They go to a team that needs their help, and then they then face increased opposition. I know that we had a Tiger go with number one, and we had a Gamecock go, I think, number eight. And so they will then face opposition that is a lot harder than they've faced. They have to adjust to professional football life, where they have, again, that increased level of opponent and opposition, and it can be a real test of character, can be a real test of their leadership skills as they in, go into this new avenue. And it's the same way when we seek to follow Jesus, we also will have our leadership tested. We'll have our, our character tested at times by opposition. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that I believe can encourage us on how we can stay vigilant in the face of opposition. We're in Nehemiah 4, and we have a long passage today, so I'm just going to read uh, through the first 15 verses here as we get started. Chapter 3 uh, talks about, which I didn't preach on, talks about the team that Nehemiah um, got together, that he assembled. And it says in verse 1, Now when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Nehemiah then prays in verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At the time, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Verse 13. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship today, in the very real way as we read this passage, as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to know the vision and to enact the vision you've given in each of our lives, sometimes we will find ourselves in opposition. We'll find ourselves fighting against Satan and the evil one. We'll find ourselves fighting against enemies who he's working behind. And help us remember that we are fighting many times, not only just for your glory, God, but for our families, for our homes, for our callings. So today, Father, as we look at this passage today, that you would encourage everyone here that they can remain vigilant, have a perseverance when the opposition comes. Show us how we can do that, Lord. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to preach your word week in and week out, in season and out. And that you would uh, fill my words with your spirit today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give you four things that we can do when facing opposition in our spiritual lives. Four things we can do when facing opposition in our spiritual lives. Number one, stay vigilant in the face of initial opposition. Stay vigilant in the face of the initial opposition. The initial opposition can be shocking sometimes. It can catch us off guard. Everything's going right. Everything's going well. Uh, we're having a good life. And then there's some opposition. It kind of jars us. So stay vigilant in the face of it. Look at verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. What we're going to see here is just kind of an old-fashioned uh, gossip session here. Somehow news of what was said by Nehemiah's enemies got back to Nehemiah. He had heard of it. And the fact that Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem greatly enraged Sanballat. And so this anger then turned into sinful gossip, what we would call today verbal bullying. Look at verse 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish? They're burned stones. Sambalot asks five questions. Each question an attempt to demoralize the workers, to get them off what their God's calling. First, he calls them weak. So what are these feeble Jews doing? They're, they're weak. Then he, then he calls them incapable. He says, can they do this all by themselves? Then he, he, calls, them, he calls them hopeless. And then he calls them the opposite of hopeless. He calls them overly ambitious. Will they, will they do this in a day? And he, he says then they don't have enough resources. He spends his time trying to verbally bully and discourage Nehemiah and his workers. Why? Because the possibility of a rebuilt Jerusalem was a threat to him in the area that he governed. So gossip and these kind of things only work if there's another person to share it with. There's other people to talk to. And he had a friend named Tobiah. Look at verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building 
if, that, if a fox goes up on a wall, it'll break down their wall. He's saying this, this, this wall is going to be so rickety, a fox can climb on top of it and the thing will fall down. So on one hand, they're worried about them building the wall, but then they're trying to make themselves feel better by saying, oh, it won't be that good of a wall. Anyway, it'll be the rickety kind of thing. When you, when you start to implement the spiritual vision God has put in your life, prepare for the initial, often verbal, opposition. Someone may attack your capability. They may attack your character. They may attack your ambition. They may attack your strengths. And so what should you do when this happens? Well, you stay vigilant and you go to the Lord. And we're going to see through the theme of Nehemiah's life in, in this book is he always first prayed and then secondly he did something about it. Many times I think we'll pray maybe about it and then not do anything. Well, God will work it out. Or maybe we'll do something about it but won't pray. We need to do both. And the order is pray first and then hear from the Lord and then do something about it. Look what he says in verse 4. So Nehemiah prays and he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And then he has an interesting prayer request. This is his prayer request, his, his, his supplication. He says, Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. He's not praying for his enemy's welfare. Now, this is what theologians call an imprecatory prayer, where on some level you're praying for judgment on your enemies. Now, these types of prayers litter the Psalms. They're all throughout the Old Testament. And when you read it, it seems unchristlike. It seems, well, Jesus tells us to, to love our enemies. What, what does this mean? Why, why would they do that, right? What, what, what is being conveyed here is not that, that maybe God will get vengeance on Nehemiah's enemies, although he certainly could. What's being asked here is simply that any attempt at overthrowing God's work will be opposed. That should always be our prayer, amen? Any attempt... And overthrowing God's work should be opposed. This is, this is a zeal for God's work to be done. And it's a prayer that God will deal with the adversaries. Now, Nehemiah doesn't take this personally. And this is, this is the problem. This is where we need to be careful with spiritual opposition. If, they do, if, you, if you are attacked by your character or your experience or your ambition or your strengths, it's, you're going to want to take it personally. And if it's not, nothing to do with the kingdom of God, then it might be personal. But if it has something to do with your spiritual life, something to do with God's church, with God's kingdom, it's not personal. You're being attacked because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is, it is God who they're attacking. And Nehemiah can see this, and he can sort this out. And so he takes it as an affront to his God. He's not saying, oh, Lord, rescue me. He says, Lord, uh, uh, turn this, do this, don't let this happen. For you. And this is what I think is my favorite verse here, verse 6. So we built the wall. <laughs> right? Doesn't say, so we quit. So we, 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 we got overwhelmed. So we, you know, tucked our tail and left. So we realized we didn't have enough resources. So we realized we didn't have enough ambition. We discovered we didn't have the experience. No, no, no. What did they do? We built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They were motivated. And they heard what was being said. They knew what was being said. 
but they had a, a love for God and the vision they had given them to restore the glory to God's city, Jerusalem, to restore to the glory to have a wall built around the city. They prayed and then they worked. So stay vigilant despite the initial opposition. Number two, stay vigilant in the face of continued opposition. It'd be great if you, when you kind of, when you kind of stood your ground and stayed vigilant, opposition would just kind of leave. But that's not always the case. It just disappears sometimes. Sometimes it continues. Look at verse seven. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Now, the first type of opposition was mainly just this verbal kind of gossip, verbal taunting. When that didn't work, Nehemiah's enemies rallied together. And now there is a legitimate physical threat, a legitimate threat of attack. Now, Sambalot and the Samaritans were north of Jerusalem. The Arabs were south of Jerusalem. The Ammonites were east of Jerusalem. And would you know it, the Ashdodites were what? West of Jerusalem, right? Never eat shredded wheat. Is that right? Northeast, southwest. All signs, all sides, they were what we call surrounded. Surrounded by their enemies. Verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Sometimes when we pray to God and we continue doing our work, spiritual attack may get worse before it gets better. So we need to realize that. But what was their response? There again, their response was first to pray. It says in verse 9, and we prayed to our God and, that wasn't it, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. They do the spiritual thing where they ask for God's help, and then they do their part of the responsibility. They, they pray, and they pray, and they take another action. There's a story you may have heard before, but it's a good illustration for this. There was a man who was on top of his roof because flood waters were rising, and he was stranded on there. And he was praying that God would rescue him, praying that God would deliver him. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and, and all of a sudden a man on a rowboat came by, and he said, he said, hey, jump in, come with me, and I'll save you. And he looked at the rowboat, and he thought, I don't know, I don't look safe, you know, maybe. I... He said, that's okay, I'm praying to my Lord, uh, he's going to rescue me, you can go on. So the rowboat went on. And then he stayed on there for a few more hours, and then, then a guy in a motorboat, a boat with an engine came by, right? And, and came in front of the roof, he said, hey, come, come down and jump on, and I'll save you. And he said, uh, I, you know what, that looks, I don't know about that, I, you know, I'm praying the Lord will save me. You can go on. God, God has this. God, God will save me. And so the motorboat went on. And then he was praying, and a few more hours went by, and, and all of a sudden one of those rescue helicopters came up from behind, and they lowered down the, the, the little gurney and everything, and they said with the, with the, uh, the little microphone thing, uh, come down, and get on the gurney. And he says, oh, you know, I don't know about that helicopter. I, no, you know what? I, God, I've been praying to God. God's going to save me. Well, helicopter flew off. The flood of waters kept rising, kept rising, and he drowned, and he died. You thought it was going to be a happy story, didn't you? Anyway, and he went to heaven, and he got a chance to talk to the Lord, and he said, Lord, why did you let me drown on that roof? 
I had faith you would save me. You didn't save me. And God said, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a motorboat. And I sent you a helicopter. What else would you have me to do? When we pray, we don't need to just say, well, God will work it out. Sometimes the answers are right in front of us. Sometimes he's working it out through people, through others. This is what Nehemiah did. He prayed to God to do for them what they couldn't do. He used all the resources. He says, all right, what can we do? Let's pray. I know what we can do. We can, uh, we can just put a guard out. We'll just protect the wall. Let's, just have, let's put a guard out, right? Imagine if uh, he didn't do that and they came and were attacked. And he says, God, you know, where were you? And God said, well, you have people you could have used. You get all these people. So he did put out a guard. We, spiritual opposition to obeying God won't necessarily end. Many times it just ramps up in intensity. We see this in Jesus' life. We see this in the disciples' lives. So we must stay vigilant in the face of the continued opposition we might have and use the resources God's given us. Number three, we also need to stay vigilant in the face of internal opposition. Now, last week I talked about different forms of opposition. There's satanic opposition, and we talked about how sometimes it's other people that Satan's working behind or using. And then there's sometimes our own, our own selves. Oppose, we oppose our own selves with things sometimes. So those are different types, but there's also subsets of that opposition. And so we have that initial opposition. We have that continued opposition from the outside. But now sometimes there's internal opposition. Look at Spiritual opposition from God's own people. Look at verse 10. In Judah, it was said that the strength of those who bear the birds is failing. There is too much trouble. People were talking, and now among Judah. And they said, you know, the people who are building the wall, they can't handle it. I heard there's too much rubble. What did you hear? Yeah, I heard it wasn't working either. I heard it wasn't happening. I heard the stones were burned up. Right? And I heard that, we, I heard that by ourselves we can't do it. So the people are trying to build the wall, and their own people are talking against them and saying, well, I heard it can't be done. Verse 11, and our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. I've heard that the enemies are just going to attack us one random day. We're not going to be able to be prepared. So now the people are starting to, 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 to oppose the work in a, in a kind of a passive-aggressive way. Verse 12. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. What you're doing is not going to work. So they were opposed from without. Now they're opposed from within. See, sometimes the people of God, unfortunately, start believing the enemy's lies. So opposition comes from within. So how did Nehemiah handle this? Well, I'm sure he prayed about it, although he didn't say it here, but he has been praying about it every time. Look what he says in verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, listen closely to what he did. All the people who were back home worrying about it, he said, all right, you're coming up here to the wall. <laughs> and he stationed them by their clans, took them out of the homes, and put them all on the wall. This kept the people from bickering back home, put, it, put the families at work with the men building the wall. Now, if you thought working from home from the pandemic was difficult, 
Imagine building a wall with all your children and your wife and everybody right there and your family's there. Can you imagine that? Now, this would seem like a silly strategy. Can you imagine the pushback he would get from this? But it really is ingenious. Because he makes the internal opposition part of the solution. Oh, you're worried about it? Why don't you come join us right here on the wall, and I'll show you the progress. I'll show you what the real problem is or where the real reality is. He puts them to work. He literally gives them a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Verse 14. And I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. He gets them all together, puts them in the wall, all the families, all the children, everybody together. Nehemiah has this meeting with them, this, this, this encouragement. And he says, do not be afraid. He says, remember the Lord. And who is the Lord? He is great and awesome and Fight for him, but also, what's he say? Fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Now, if a soldier is on the wall and it's being breached and he's there with his brother soldiers and stuff, he's going to fight hard. But how much harder will he fight if his children are right beside him? Can you imagine? And some of you mothers might fight even harder. You know, if someone was breaking into my house, I might resist. But if my children are next to me, I'm really going to resist. This is what he's saying. We're going to get motivated. We're going to build this wall. And the threat might be outside the walls. But your family is going to be right there with you. So when you're fighting, you're fighting not just for the Lord, which should be good enough. You're fighting for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. He rallies the troops. He gives a speech. He uses unconventional strategy for sure. But stay vigilant in the face of this continued and now internal opposition. And finally, number four, we have to remember that we have to stay vigilant in the face of even a weakened opposition. Even a weakened opposition. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and what God had frustrated their plan, we all returned the wall each to his work. You know, unfortunately, this week... Uh, I had a yellow jacket get in the house, right? And I had that spray that shoots like 20 feet out, which is great. I just go, whoosh, and it kills like a yellow jacket or a wasp or something like that. And my wife said, there's a yellow jacket in one of the rooms. Can you come, come home and kill it? I was like, yeah, I'll kill it. So I came home, and I grabbed the spray, and I, and I shook it up. There wasn't a lot left. I was like, oh, might have to do this the more dangerous way because it kills right in contact. You know, so anybody can do that, you know. So I sprayed it, and I got kind of close to it because I wasn't sure. And I sprayed it, and it went, phew. like the last little bit just came out. It wasn't 20 feet. It was like two inches of stuff, right? And I, and I kept spraying it, and more stuff would come out. It was like, phew, phew, phew. It's like Amazon order now. So we got more in the next day. But I did it, and it, and it killed it, and it, and it, but it. But just that little bit, this is how potent this stuff is. Just that little bit, within five seconds, the, the, the yellow jacket fell down and kind of started curling up and was dying, right? And emulator with my child, I can't remember when my children said, can you get it out of the room yet? It's like, no, I'm not getting it out now. Give it about an hour. <laughs> right? Now, it's weakened, and it's just a little yellow jacket, and the stings hurt, of course. But it's still weakened. It's still dangerous. Not as dangerous as it was before, but it's going to take a little, a little bit to die. You still have to be careful. You still have to stay vigilant, even when the opposition is weakened. 
So he says in verse 15, when our enemies had heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to this work. But we didn't forget about it. We didn't think the threat was over. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction. Half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Kind of a great sight. They got a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other, but I guess a hammer could be a weapon too. But, or, or, or something to build with over here and a weapon over here. I guess they had open carry laws. I'm sure they did. Right? Literally, a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. That's the way, that's the way they did things. Verse 18. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials, the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. It was a long wall, big wall. He said, the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight an attack. There's trumpeters all across the wall. You hear that trumpet, you drop what you're doing, you come and rally, and we'll all fight together. So they still have a plan in case something might happen. We think the threat's gone, but here's what's going to happen if it's not. Here's the plan. Keep your weapon beside you. Keep your tool beside you. Verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people that time, let every man and his the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. They didn't even change clothes. They didn't even shower. Can you imagine? Kept their weapon at the right hand. And when we face spiritual opposition, that's the frame of mind we need to have. And our left hand, we're doing the work of God. Whatever that is, whatever he's called you to do, we're, we're building the kingdom, we're building the church, we're building our families, whatever it is, we're doing that in, our, in one hand, the tool, but then we have our weapon, the Bible calls the sword of the spirit in our right hand. This is why we always talk about Bible reading plans. This is why our sermons are straight from Scripture. This is why our teaching is from Scripture. This is why we, in our first service, we have responsive reading straight from the Bible reading for that day. If we're going to be vigilant in God's call in our lives, we have to have the tools that he's given us. We've got to have the weapon as well. In the culture we live in, we can't walk around without an idea of what the Bible says, who we are in Christ. It protects us. That's what a sword does. It protects you, defends you, and if you need to use it, you can use it. That's, and, and we need to be able to use the sword. We need to use the word of God. When we have a difficult time, we can go to God's word and use it and see where the comfort is. We stay vigilant in the face even of weakened opposition. Well, there's a woman named Florence Chadwick and she was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. I remember when I did that, it was a really encouraging time. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever did that, it was exciting. But anyway, during her training, uh, she attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the California coast. Now, the challenge was not so much the distance, but 
first challenge was the, the cold waters of the Pacific. And to complicate the matters, there was this dense fog over the entire area, making it impossible for her to see land where she's swimming to. And I guess she had some people with her, but you know, after about 15 hours in the water, about a half mile from her goal, Chadwick gave up. And I talked to her later about it, and she told a reporter, she said, I'm not making any excuses, but if I could have seen land, if I could have seen the land, I might have made it, right? Not long after, she attempted it again, and once more in her swim, fog came over the coastline. She couldn't see the shore, but she knew it was there. And she made it because she kept reminding herself as she swam and took one stroke over the next that the land was there. If I just keep swimming, I'll get there. And with that confidence, she swam, she achieved her goal, and in fact, she broke the men's record by two hours. Broke my record, I can't believe it, but she did. In the Christian life, that's how it's going to be. Who would have thought in March 15, March 16, 2020, when we shut down for eight weeks, that we would still be talking about a pandemic, we would still be talking about things like social distancing. We, we had no idea what to expect. No idea what to expect. We don't have any idea where the shore is. We, we feel like the shore is closer now than it was a year ago. We think it is, but we still don't know. And so when we're continuing to move forward in our lives, continuing to follow Christ, what that is, you know, what, well, we can't see the end, you know what we call that, what we can't see the shore? That's called faith. That's called faith. And that's the best part of the Christian life and the part in your life that is of his vision, it'll be complete. If we ask him to lead us and we keep our mind that there's a shore there and he knows when it is, keep our faith in him. Heavenly Fathers, we close our time together today. We thank you that you are our navigator through the, through the waters you're our foreman on the site. You tell us when something's going to be completed. You encourage us. You rally us through your word. We thank you for that. And that you give us complicated, difficult assignments as we follow you. For one, it's for our good, but for second, it's for your glory. And we know they're doable when we rely on you. We rely on your power. Lord, as we enter into our response time today, there's someone in here that's never placed their faith in you that they would do so today. Maybe there's one in here today that's going through a struggle spiritually. I don't know if the opposition is coming from without or from within, maybe from their own minds. Or that you would steer them out to that safe shore. They would trust you. Or they would take their tool in one hand and their weapon in the other, and they'd be vigilant. But we thank you that you can make us successful in that. So, Father, as we close our time together today, I pray that you would show each and every one of us how we could do that in our own lives and how we can trust you, Lord. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.